Hey, thanks, David. Good morning. It is great to see you guys. I know everybody is in good spirits because the team wearing red won the big game this weekend. Um, it was great to see Arsenal win 1-0 at Chelsea this morning. It's clearly the game that we're all talking about, right? Um, listen, before we jump into the message today, I just want to take a minute and um, do some kind of internal um, conversation and give you some some sad news, but some good news. And so what we want to do this morning is take some time, and I want to honor one of our staff members. Kim Ali is in the back. I told you I would not make you come up here, and I'm going to stick to that promise, but I'm still going to let people see you so we can give you the proper amount of honor and attention. Um, if you don't know Kim, Everything that happens, happens because of Kim, literally. She's our director of operations and does probably 25 other things all at the same time and has for a long time here. And so a couple of uh, months ago, Kim came to me and said she just felt like she was at a place in her life where she felt like God was calling her to take a little bit of a step back. Um, to take a little bit of a break to recharge and refocus. And so Kim is, um, as of November 1st, moving out of a full-time role into what we're calling a contract role. The good news is Kim is still going to be here and still going to be sharing her gifts with us. She's just going to be doing it in a little bit of a different context. Um, she'll continue to help us do some video, photography, creative work on our communication side, but she's also going to take some time to just recharge, find a season of seeking God. God's will for her life um, and continuing to follow him as a part of RCC. So Kim, we want to say thank you. We, we want to say that we love you and that who you are is so much more than what you do. And we're so thankful that you are a part of us. I know for my family and I, I cannot imagine having done this transition into the role that I'm in without you. So thank you. Thank you from me personally. Thank you corporately from the life of the church and thank you from the bottom of my family's heart. We are so grateful for you and so thankful that we will be continuing to do life with you. And so if you guys would, we are not, yes, you can clap. I saw, yes, yeah. thank you. So the back end of my deal is Kim's not going to be up here, but she will be in the lobby, so find her. Don't let her leave. Don't let her leave today. Um, Amir, hold her up a little bit. Um, she's going to try to sneak out, give her a hug, tell her thank you, pray for her. Um, but what I want to do right now is just take a moment for all of us to pray for you, Kim, um, and just ask that God would continue to walk with you and bless you in this next season of your life. God, we do thank you for Kim and just her heart for you and her heart for people. God is, is a congregation, is a community that has been impacted by the way that she loves you and your people. God, we just ask that you would continue to bless with her, give her peace and rest in this next season of life. God, give her just clarity, give her rejuvenation, and give her a continued sense of being a part of a people that love her as much as she loves them. Um, God, root her in her identity as your child, um, that she is loved and that she is valued, God. And, and help us continue to be a community that supports her as she walks with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So um, we are in the middle of some interviews right now for our Associate Minister of Students and Connections. And it's interesting when you're interviewing people, one of the questions they ask, it's not a bad question, is tell us about the vision of your church. Where is your church going? 
Who are you? What are you about? And it's kind of an interesting question for me to answer because I tend to be kind of type A and a doer. And I'm like, well, here's where we're going. Here's what we're doing. And so it's been cool because in this season as a church, when people ask me, what is the vision of your church? Where are you guys going? The answer to that question is we're going to our knees in prayer. Because our vision this year, where we are going, is towards God's throne on our knees as we pray like our lives depend on it. And that's a little bit counterintuitive for some of us because we just want to go. We want to go, go, go. And we believe that God is saying, I want you to rest in your dependence on me. And that can be uncomfortable, can make us feel impatient, but as we walk towards a God who loves us in dependence on him, we find that he shapes our hearts and reminds us of who he is. And ultimately, our purpose as a church is to worship God for who he is and love the people that he's put around us as we advance his kingdom. And so what we are doing right now is we are praying like our lives depend on it. And so we've been in a series on the Lord's Prayer. We have talked about how God has taught us how to pray, right? Through Jesus, he's teaching us this is how you pray. And so we're kind of pivoting the way that he's teaching right now because he's given them the prayer. Now he's going to talk a little bit about God's perspective on prayer. And so here's, here's the good news, okay? If there's one thing that you leave with today, here, here's what I want you to leave with. People and God are different. We are not like God. And so here's what I mean. Have you noticed that you have a different comfort level asking for things, help, refreshment based on where you are? Have you noticed this? So if you are in the house of someone who you don't know well, if you're a guest, I remember this feeling when we were interviewing here. Somebody, hey, do you need anything? No, 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 I'm fine. Are you sure there's nothing left in your, you don't, you don't need water? No, I'm fine. I'll just suck on these ice cubes. Like, don't get up. Don't get up. It's cool. But if you are someplace a bit more familiar, maybe with family around Thanksgiving, it's not a big deal for you as an adult to walk into your parents' house and still be like, would you make me a sandwich? You would never do that in a stranger's house. Why is that, right? At least like I hope not, um, but why, why is that? Why are we so different in our willingness to vocalize needs depending on who we're talking to? Here's why, because as people, we have this belief and expectation that if we are going to ask for something, it is going to be an imposition, it's going to make us look weak and vulnerable or needy, and it's not appropriate. Now, we would say there's places where it's socially appropriate to have our needs met. Our family, our friends. So like when I go to my friends Greg and Molly's house, like I've known Greg since we were like 21. I have no problem being like, hey, you guys got any Topo Chico in the fridge out there? Um, not a big deal because I know them. They're stuck with me. It doesn't matter if I offend them. I'm just there, right? But I have this insecurity if I don't know people as well because what are the ramifications going to be of me imposing on them? So again, the good news is people are not like God. We misunderstand this because a lot of times we enter into a relationship with God expecting him to act like people. So I don't want to ask God for too much. I used up my prayer for the week, so I don't want to go back. What if I annoy him? There's the whole lightning thing and like he knows people. He can pull some strings. I don't want to make him mad. I don't want to annoy him. I don't want to be needy. And so we, we won't pray like our lives depend on it because we feel like we might be imposing upon the Lord. We might be annoying or a bother to him. 
And so what Jesus is doing, and he knows this, like even in the first century when this was happening, Jesus understood that people had this kind of perspective on who God was because immediately what he does is starts talking about God's perspective on our requests. And what he does is he actually invites the hearer, his disciples, us, to identify with how God would view our asking him for things. Because here's the reality. God wants us to ask for things. God desires that we ask him for what we need. This is a core part of who he is. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 11, and we're going to see that God invites our requests. Let's, let's kind of go through five, through, um, five through eight here. It says, he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I will have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is shut now and my children are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. He says, which of you has a friend that will do this? And you would respond to him this way. Who would do that? So let's talk a little bit. This is an odd scenario. This wouldn't really happen today for a number of different reasons, right? Like this just isn't how we operate as Americans. But what he's saying is that if someone comes to you, you will reflexively understand that you need to get up and give him some bread. And there's a couple of different variables that are operating at the same time now. So culturally, in the Middle East in the first century, you probably know this, hospitality was an expectation. There was a cultural expectation that if you had a visitor, you would open up your home, you would feed them, you would clothe them, and you would protect them. It was more than just an expectation. It was frankly a responsibility. And so if you were an upstanding person in this culture, your orientation towards someone with need would reflexively be, well, I want to know about it because I have a responsibility to take care of this. And he kind of goes a step further, because if you read this, the friend that's waking up the, the, the main subject of this doesn't need it for himself. He needs it for a visitor that he has. So this would have been the picture of a typical first century settlement where they were. Most people would have a house with one room. Everyone would be in that one room. They would sleep there. They would eat there. They would do everything there. It would be tightly compacted with a lot of other houses of a similar construction. And so when someone came in with a need, everyone in the village would very quickly know about it because of just the proximity that they did life together with. Does that track, do you, do you kind of feel what this would be like? And so what Jesus is kind of setting them up to understand is that the way God sees our requests are no different than the way they would see a request from someone. Not you and I as Americans, but these people in the first century. Because if someone came with a need, they would not give a second thought to giving that person exactly what they needed. It was just the way society works. So here's another way of, of saying what Jesus is trying to explain. God wants us to ask. God wants us to ask what we need. Because the parable is, which of you would do this? The parable is not, can you believe that this guy asked him for bread? 
Jesus isn't making him out to be the bad guy. He's not saying, can you believe the audacity of this guy to go wake up his friend? Why couldn't he just tell the guy to go to the grocery store? Why couldn't he tell the guy to pull him up by his bootstraps? What about individualism and self-sufficiency? He shouldn't need somebody else's bread. Jesus didn't say that's communism, right? Mostly because the concept hadn't been named at this point in history, but also because that's not the value that he's trying to impart on these people. Okay, he's trying to explain to them the way God views our prayers. Just like anyone who was hearing Jesus teach would say, well, I wanna know exactly what somebody needs because I have a responsibility to meet that need. Jesus is saying God wants you to ask because God has a responsibility to meet our needs. And the same way that there is this unspoken cultural contract of hospitality in the first century, Jesus is explaining that there is a spoken social contract that God has with his creation. That because God loves us, because he is not like us, because he has a desire for our good, he wants us to ask. Remember at the very beginning of the Lord's Prayer, if you were here when we started that, when he begins it with hallowed be thy name? He's saying, let's make a big deal of God's name because of who he is. God's name is worth being held up and worshiped. That's because God's character overflows into our lives as a reflection of his goodness. And I think for a lot of us, this is a little bit of a barrier because when we think about our prayer lives, we don't know that we trust that God really wants us to ask. A lot of times we will will take our experiences our human relationships, the dynamics that we've had with family or bosses or whoever, and we'll project those onto God. And then we don't ask. We just try to work harder. God, I got it. Don't worry about it. I don't want to bother you. I don't want to bother you. I've got this covered, God. I don't need your help. I'll I'll come to you when it's really serious, right? Let me try these five options first. So that's not the way that God is oriented towards our requests. In the same way that there would be an expectation that someone would ask for for help, for hospitality, for sustenance, God says, I expect you to ask me. And we see this throughout how he speaks in the New Testament. We're going to drill down next week into some of the relational goodness of who God is because Jesus is going to end there. But before we do, we have to build this foundation. So this is an invitation for us to ask God for what we need. This is an invitation to go before him and do that. And so here's the deal. God wants us to ask. Let's keep going because this, here's why God wants us to ask. And here's why it's safe for, for God to have us ask him for things. This is really kind of the crux of the concept. And it's gonna, it's gonna be a little bit weird and it's gonna be a little bit uncomfortable because it flies in the face of who we are culturally. But that's exactly why we need to understand this. Okay. So let's keep going. In Luke 11, let's just read verse eight. Okay. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence, another way to say that is shamelessness, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. So this is fascinating because on a just basic reading of this, you would say, oh, well, it's his friend. Of course, he's going to get up and give him bread, right? Jesus says, no, 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 no. It's not because they're friends. It's still late. It's still, it's still a request. It's still an ask. That's not why he's going to do it. It's because the shamelessness or impudence that he asks with. Like, can you believe this guy? Can, have, you ever, have, you ever been, um, have you ever seen shamelessness at work? 
Have you, have you experienced a shameless ask before? All the parents are like, well, it's Christmas time, so I will here in a couple of weeks, right? And so um, it can be actually kind of scary when it goes to an extreme level. My wife and I um, are almost somewhat consistently terrorized with a shameless ask. And what's scary about it is it's not from people, it's from nature. And nature is scary. And so we actually have a feral, um, feral creature that harasses us with shamelessness on a regular basis. Um, I got a picture of it, it's right here. Um, this, is, this, is, this is the source of shamelessness in our home. So when Kaylee and I were dating, I thought it would be romantic to adopt some cats from the pound because she really likes cats. I mean, really likes cats, okay? And so one turned into two. And so now, um, 15 years later, we have this still in our home, and this is Bella, and Bella is convinced that Kaylee is a deity of some kind. And so what happens is, is Bella just always needs to be on her lap, okay? Just always on her lap. My wife does not want the cat in the bed at night because she tracks in litter and she can't sleep with a cat on her, okay? So what we had to do was draw a boundary around this animal and close the door. So here's what happens. It could be at 10 p.m., it could be at 3 a.m., it could be at 5 a.m. Outside of the door, we hear meow. And if we don't get up and let her in, it just gets louder and louder and louder and more persistent and more persistent and more persistent. It's shameless because she's demanding that she gets what she needs right now. And here's what's crazy. The reason she does this is because she thinks it's going to work. And it would if I was in charge because I just wanna go back to bed. And so this is the kind of shameless asking that Jesus is painting a picture of here. He's saying that you don't get up and give the guy bread because he's your friend. You do it because of the shamelessness of his act. This is a really difficult word. And for translators of scripture, the Greek word gave them problems and they tried to play some games with it because it was just really confusing that Jesus would use it in this context. So the word has been almost softened to persistence in some translations. It's actually not a super accurate rendering of the word, and here's why. Every instance that this word is used in the Septuagint, it's the Greek translation of the Old Testament, every time that this word is used in contemporary literature of the time, like Josephus, every time we see this in letters or even writing of the Greeks, it is always used with a negative connotation, always. It is always used for behavior that debases oneself and is a lack of honor, okay? And here's why because this is a reflection, the shamelessness here is a reflection of someone's complete inability to do anything for themselves. And as a value in the Western Greek world, that was a problem. It's not that different really than how we would look at it, right? And so how in the world could his shamelessness be reframed as a good thing by Jesus here? Why would Jesus take a word that is inherently negative and, and use it as a way that models how we should behave? It makes no sense at all, right? Because it flies in the face of everything that the world culture of the time would have propped up. Here's why. Because shamelessness isn't bad when it is rooted in a dependence and expectation on the character of God. The reason that it's not negative for us to be shameless in our requests of God is because God actually wants to be a God that provides for us, right? Again, in the same way that he's saying the reason that you would get up and give bread was because the shamelessness of this guy's action has forced you into responding in a certain way. 
okay? Your only response to uphold the honor of your name in this scenario is to meet the needs that you've been called to meet. He's saying God is the same way. Not that we force God to do anything, but for the honor and glory of God's name, because of who he is, when we are shamelessly dependent on him, he shows up. He shows up because that's who he has chosen to be. No one has forced God to do that. He has chosen to be a God who is completely dependable. God is a perfectly dependable provider of what we need. And Jesus talked about this really throughout the Lord's Prayer, but he's hammering the point home in a way that the listeners will hear this from God's perspective. Jesus is saying, just like if somebody came to you with nothing, you are obligated out of how you understand your responsibility to love people to show up for them. He's saying that's how God feels about you. When you come to the Lord completely dependent on him, in need, he doesn't view that as an imposition or offensive. He doesn't feel like you're breaking rules. He doesn't feel like you're toying with the boundaries of normal social behavior. He doesn't feel any of that towards us. God is a God who's dependable. We can depend on God to be who he says he is and love us the way that he says he will love us. And so I wonder if some of our prayer lives aren't shameless enough. I wonder if we're too, and hear me, I'm not saying, well, maybe you should ask for more money. I mean, maybe, but like, that's not what I mean by shameless. I wonder if we don't quite pray like our lives depend on it because we'd like to keep a little bit of the responsibility for ourselves. We don't want to look like we're helpless. We don't want to look like we're needy. We don't want to look like we can't do it. We don't want to look like we need help. We're competent, middle-class, white-collar Southerners, and we don't need anybody's help, right? So why would I go to the Lord and bother him? Jesus says that's a misunderstanding of who God is, and it blunts our prayer life because it doesn't call us into the level of dependence that God has designed us to operate in. It is safe to be shameless in our prayer life because when you dig into what we believe about who God is and what that means for us, we really don't have another hope outside of the goodness of God. We just don't because all of the ways that we try to fix our problems will we'll come to the end of pretty quickly. And like, we've examined this, right? But like, you don't have enough money to fix all your problems. You, you don't have enough intelligence to fix everything that's broken in the world. You don't have enough effort. You don't have enough will. There's just going to be a natural limitation of your ability and my ability. And God says, that's when you come to understand how much you fully depend on me. That's when we have these shameless prayers of saying, God, I don't have anything. All I can do is show up and ask you to be who you've said you are. And so I wonder, I wonder why we're not shameless. Here, here's, here's why. I think there's part of us that wonders if God really is who he says he is. Is he really going to come through? What about if he doesn't come through the way I think he should? What if I don't understand why he didn't come through the way I wanted him to? Let's, let's keep reading. Really quickly here in verse 9, Jesus says, And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. Jesus is closing by saying, ask God, he'll show up. He'll give you what you need. And that terrifies us to be in that position because something in us is like, what if he doesn't though? What does that mean? Am I foolish? 
Um, does God not love me? It puts us in this position, and here's why prayer is scary. A really shameless prayer is scary because it puts us in a place of vulnerability. Prayer invites us into a place of vulnerable trust. So think about this guy in the parable that he's teaching that's going to his friend. Somebody's come to his house requesting hospitality. He doesn't have what he needs to fulfill his social obligation. That's scary. There's shame in that. He's got to go to his friend and admit, I don't have it all together. I don't have what I need. I can't, I can't fulfill my societal obligation. That's a scary place to be. He's placing some trust in his friend to not judge him, to come through for him, to rescue him, to accept him, right? So this is a scary place because what happens if they don't? What happens if they don't? What happens when we put ourselves in front of God and all we have is to hope that he's trustworthy? It's terrifying. It's terrifying because it takes all of the power out of our hands. It takes all of the understanding what God might do off of the table because we don't know. Because we're people. Remember, God is different than us. And so prayer is uncomfortable for us because it puts us in this place where we come face to face with this reality. We are completely vulnerable to everything around us and have to be dependent on God because he's our only hope. And that's a scary place to be. It's much easier to live in the illusion of control that we can pretend to exercise in the world around us sometimes than be fully dependent on God. And so how can we do that? How can, how can we be a people that continue to lean into this place of vulnerable trust as we pray shameless prayers? We remember who God is. We remember the truth of who God is. We talked about this last week. When it comes to our prayers, and how God answers them and what he does. He doesn't always tell us the how, but he always tells us the who, right? He always reminds us of who he is. And we do this every week. Everything that we do is rooted in who God is, specifically for us that is expressed in our faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The reason that we can be a vulnerable, trusting people is because we've experienced the goodness of God through the salvation of Jesus Christ. Ultimately, our greatest need, our greatest point of dependence and vulnerability is our salvation. And that's happened. The New Testament actually says over and over and over again that we have a massive advantage over the saints that came before us in the Old Testament because we know and understand God's plan of salvation in fullness. They only understood it in part. We understand it in fullness. We have the stories of Jesus. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We have the church. We have more resources at our fingertips to study and know the word of God than anyone at any time in any place in world history. We know Jesus has met our deepest need. And if we can trust God to sacrifice himself through the person and work of Jesus Christ, we can trust that God will show up and give us what we need. We can trust that God loves us and is for us, even when the brokenness of the world hurts. We can trust that God is dependable because he's already come through in the most significant way he ever can. He's forgiven us of our sins. He's transformed our broken, sinful nature. He's perfected us and he has given us eternal life. How does that happen? through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
This is why we celebrate communion every week. This is why we're going to prepare to do it again. This is why we consistently sing about Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, right? This is why we talk about the magnitude of what he's accomplished. Because outside of Jesus, we don't have an experience of a God that knows us and loves us. It is only through our faith in Jesus Christ that we're children of God. It's only through the death and resurrection of Jesus that we find salvation. Everything else that God does in our lives is just an overflow of that core truth. And I'm going to be honest with you. We won't always understand God because, again, we're not like God. God's different than us. We won't always see everything that he's going to do before he does it. We, 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 we usually don't. We won't live a life that is untouched by trials. We talked about that a little bit last week, right? Here's what we do know, though, that because of who God has showed himself to be, that when we go to God with our needs, we go to a God who is perfectly dependable and that loves us. And so here, here's my challenge to us as a church this week. Let's pray shameless prayers that are fully dependent on God because that's all we really have. Let's be a people that place ourselves in a vulnerability where we truly trust him. Let's be a people that wait for him and hope in him with no reservation. Let's joyfully allow our hearts to walk up to the ledge of faith and say, God, I trust you. I trust that you are better. I trust you with my obedience. I trust you with my requests and my desires and my passions because I know who you are because you've shown your love for us through what Jesus did on the cross, I go to you and take my hands off everything and say, God, I trust you, here's what I need. Let's be a people that pray those prayers and allow God to work in our hearts as we seek to be obedient to him. As we set up and remember who God is through communion, I'm gonna ask that we would pray and just thank God that we understand salvation that we know him and that we've been made new by him. And then we have this opportunity to go and have these physical reminders of what it means to be known and loved by God. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for your word. God, thank you that you have called us to be shameless and trust in you because there's really nothing else that comes close to that. So God, I ask that as we respond to you in worship, that you would help us to be people that trust you that you would allow us to be vulnerable, that you would allow us to be bold in our requests, and that you would make us people who truly depend on you for all of our needs. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.